Well, we're continuing our sermon series uh, this morning that we're calling The Cure. It's a series that we're taking from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth here in 1 Corinthians. And what we've been seeing is, is that the issues that Paul's addressing here in his letter to the church in Corinth are very similar to a lot of the same issues that churches are facing today and are going through. Not, and I wouldn't say just in the church, but also in our culture and in the world that we're living in right now. And we can see how, how uh, drastic a change our culture has taken just in the last two years. How many things have changed? How, how much has changed in the church? And so uh, I believe as we've gone through uh, this letter to the Corinthians, we can see a lot of correlation there between the church in Corinth and the church uh, in America today. And not just in America, but all around the world. And what Paul has been teaching us as we go through this is that the cure for these issues, if you will, the cure for the problems uh, in the church and the problems in our world is simply this. And it is simple. Focus on heavenly things and not earthly things. Focus on what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary and in an empty tomb. And if we'll focus on that, stay focused on that, and trust in that, then that is the cure for any issues or problems that might come up in the church or might come up in our culture and society today. I want to thank Parker Hutchison for reading for us during our worship today, the text that we're going to be looking at. But before we get to our text this morning, I want to share a story with you that I read recently that I think just really uh, catches the spirit of what Paul's teaching Uh, here in chapter 10 this morning. Uh, It's a story that an author shared in a book that he wrote, and I guess I should have wrote his name down in the name of the book and given him credit for it, but I I didn't. Um, But it it was a cool story he was telling about his wife's grandma. And his wife's grandmother, they called Grandma Alice, okay? And so he tells this story uh, about at Grandma Alice's house that she had these gardens and, and she had flower beds and all these things. And in one of those flower beds she had at her house, she had a big rock in that flower bed. Anybody else got a big rock somewhere in a flower bed or something? We have them. Uh, my wife is infatuated with rocks and we have rocks everywhere. But Grandma Alice had this one big huge rock in her flower bed, and as long as they'd been going to Grandma Alice's, they could remember that this rock was kind of the staple uh, there. So they asked her one day, they said, Grandma Alice, do you know why, or what's the story behind the rock? And she said, well, basically, when we decided to move here, and we decided to build our place and establish our home here, she said, that big rock was there, and she said, it was so big that we couldn't move it, and so we left it, and so it's just always been there. And this, this rock was, uh, the writer went on to say it was a, a, a big, huge, not only a huge rock, but he said it was, it was smooth, it had a smooth surface on it, uh, and it had some shiny mineral chunks that were embedded in the, the rock that would kind of glisten when the sun would, would hit it in just a particular way. Well, and after, after them inquiring about the rock, Grandma began to take pride in the fact that you know, people 
uh, appreciated her rock. So she decided what she was going to do was she was going to go and polish this rock and shine it up. And she thought if she would do that, that those, whatever those mineral crystals were that were in there would shine even brighter and it would be even prettier. And so she began to polish. She began to scrub on that rock. And as she did, and as she sanded on that, a thin dusting of gold started to uh, uh, gather on the stone. And she wet her finger, and she run her finger across it, and she looked at it, and sure enough, it was gold. Granny's heart began to race, right? She began to, to get excited, and so she sanded faster and faster and harder and harder, putting all the strength into it that a little old grandma uh, could, could put into uh, doing that, and more gold dust appeared. And, and the harder she sanded, the more uh, of this gold dust that, that would appear, and, and she began to catch that uh, famous gold fever that many of you are familiar with. Some of you were part of it back in the 1800s. And uh, uh, when gold fever swept this land and, and many people squandered their homes and left their families to go out west in search of treasure. But Grandma Alice, she could feel it. She was so excited. She was about to be rich. And it had been right there under her nose all this time. And she just got all these emotions going on. And she's so excited. And she stopped to catch her breath and to wipe the sweat from her brow. And when she did, she noticed something different about her wedding ring. And she held it up and she looked at it and she said the top of the ring was like it had always been before. But the bottom of the ring was thin as a piece of wire. And, and uh, the, she said that's when she realized that this gold dust that she had been finding had actually come from the sandpaper filing away at the inside of her wedding band. And in just a moment, her greatest treasure, a family heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation, had been reduced to dust in pursuit of treasure. Treasure that had never been there to begin with. And the author said that when his wife told him the story that he laughed, because it is kind of funny, but he said that after he thought about it, he said it made me sad. An aging woman, giddy as a schoolgirl, dreaming of great riches, and in just a moment, feeling guilty with shame at how naive she had been. He went on to say this, but it's also sad because much of my own life I've repeated again and again Grandma Alice's mistake. I've squandered treasure in pursuit of dust. And here in chapter 10, Paul's going to explain to us, I believe, how Grandma Alice's mistake is one every follower of God since the beginning of time has been tempted to make. It's called idolatry, and it's the root of all sin. It's also a source of a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, bad choices, and broken families that not only the Corinthians were finding and making 
but that many of us also make as well. And to put this into context, kind of have to go back to last week, because you will remember last week, if you were here, that Paul's trying to help the Corinthians navigate a controversy that really isn't familiar to us. But he was trying to navigate this issue that they had in the church, whether or not it was okay for a Christian to eat meat that had previously been offered to idols. Some of them felt that eating the meat that had been offered to an idol meant that you were condoning idol worship if you bought that meat in the market. Some even believed that meat, this meat had some sort of uh, demonic curse on it, and so that it was wrong to eat it. Others felt that God's power is stronger than the power of a stone or wooden statue or idol, and that Jesus' death cleansed all these things for us anyway. And we saw in chapter 8 that Paul tells them that, yes, Jesus' death had indeed cleansed all things for us and, and that, you know, it was okay to eat this meat. But then he went on to say this. He said, but if in exercising your right to do that, it causes somebody else to stumble or it causes somebody else to do something that they think is wrong, or it causes someone to do something that could be destructive to them and their life. He said, then you should not do that for the sake of the gospel. You should not do that for the sake of being able to share Jesus with that person. And so that's where we are today. He's kind of been talking about this throughout chapter 8 and chapter 9. And after making the point that it was okay to eat this meat, now we see him say, but I want to be clear about this. And he makes the point that it is not okay to worship idols. That that is a big deal. Here in chapter 10, he's saying it is absolutely a big deal. It's absolutely wrong. It, he says evil and demonic to do this because it's at the heart of all sin. From Adam and Eve to the children of Israel, to Grandma Alice. And so, he starts here in verse 1 by saying, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. Now, the reference that he's making here in talking to them, he's talking about the Israelites, Right? God's chosen people. He's talking about the exodus from Egypt and, and, and how God delivered them through the Red Sea. And he's the spiritual food that he's talking about here that they ate was the manna from heaven that God had provided for them to eat. Verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Matter of fact, they were all killed except for two, Joshua and Caleb. Now look at this in verse 6. He says, now these things occurred as examples. These things occurred to us as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. 
We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as what? Warnings for us. I want to skip down to verse 14 now. And he says this, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now don't miss this. Paul is basically summarizing all of Israel's problems under this one theme, idolatry. And he says, flee from it. Flee from idolatry because idolatry is in all of it. It's in the sin. It's in the selfishness. It's in the all about me generation. Verse 18, he says, Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? In other words, when you worship an idol, when you worship an idol, you are opening a door for that idol to infect you, to corrupt your life, and it eventually will take control of your life. Do I mean then that food sacrifice to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. So Paul's saying, while it's not a problem to eat food that's previously been offered to an idol, he says any kind of worship of an idol opens you up to demonic to the demonic that's pretty strong is it not and so the first question i believe that we got to answer today and 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 be on the same page about is this what is idolatry what is idolatry well in verse 6 paul says now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did idolatry is setting our hearts, Paul says, on evil things. In other words, desiring these other things, craving these other things. You see, it's idolatry is our desire of anything more than our desire for our relationship with God. Something that you're driven to have or something that you're driven to get. And that's greater than your desire for God. He says, this is what idolatry is. You see, idolatry is not bowing down. It's not just, I should say, it's not just bowing down to some little golden statue. You know, I've never been at anyone's house um, Around here, I've never been anyone's car around here where they had a little statue, they had a little golden image that they bowed down to on a regular basis. I've never seen that. 
Um, seen lots of things, but I had never seen that. But idolatry is not just about bowing down to little statues. An idol, don't miss this, is anything that takes the place of God in your heart and in your life. Idolatry is not so much about what you bow down to as it is what you crave. It's not so much as what you bow down to as it is what you desire to have because you don't think you can be happy without that. And an idol, it's not always a bad thing. We've talked about this before. An idol's not always a bad thing. It can be a good thing. But when you make it a priority over God, then it becomes a bad thing. Paul says evil, demonic. For Adam and Eve, what was it? Forbidden fruit. It was that tree of knowledge of good and evil. God gave them free reign in the Garden of Eden. Everything was available to them. All the fruit, all the, everything was available to them except for this one tree that they were told they couldn't eat from. But what happened? Satan began to try to twist the words of God. Be careful about people who twist the words of God. Satan begins to tempt them and trick them. And, and what happened? Soon, they had in their minds, i got to have that fruit, right? I, I, I need that fruit. I, I want that one. I want that fruit. For the children of Israel, well, let's go back to Adam and Eve. Because of that desire to want that fruit, what did they do? Well, they compromised their relationship with God in trying to have that. For the children of Israel, it was their desire to get out of the wilderness. And think about it. They're in the wilderness, yes. And, and they're wanting to get out of there. And they're also wanting to eat something besides this manna that God had provided for them. Think about what they wanted. They wanted their slavery instead of their freedom with God. Now, doesn't that sound ridiculous? I think we do that a lot in our own lives. We'd rather be in slavery than to live in the freedom that God has for us. You see, the children of Israel, they, they desired the safety and the security and the food of Egypt. Which, oh, by the way, is where they were held in bondage. They didn't like being in the wilderness because all they had in the wilderness was God's presence. All they had in the wilderness was God's promise to be with them and to protect them and to provide for them. Well, that wasn't enough. And so they turned their backs on God and to the things of God to pursue other things. And they are the example that Paul uses here that we should pay attention to. So here's the question. Y'all knew it was coming to a question, right? What is it for you? 
What is it for you that you desire more than you do your relationship with God? What in your life have you assigned the most value to? Here's another way to think about it. One of the uh, words for worship in the Bible, the Hebrew word for worship in the Bible is kabod. And that word kabod literally means weight, like a heavy weight, like a weight that you would carry. To worship something is to give it weight in your heart. To worship something is to give it weight in your life. And an idol is whatever in your heart carries the most weight. Because here's the deal. God created every single one of us, every single human being, to worship. Every human heart will find something to worship. Worship isn't just a religious thing. We all worship or desire something. So what is it for you? Some people think that the only way that they can be happy in life is to have the right relationship. The right kind of relationship, and they're exactly right. But their relationship is with our Heavenly Father. But a lot of people put a lot of weight in relationships on this earth. And so for them, those people can become an idol. Romance can become an idol for many people. For some, their desire or their idol is money. And if you can only accumulate enough money, if I could only get enough in my bank account, then I could be secure and I could be happy and I could just live at peace for the rest of my life. And again, relationships and money, they're not bad things. But if it's the one thing that your happiness depends on, if it's the one thing that will give you security more than anything else and your security depends on it, then it is a bad thing. Here's another one that hits close to home for your pastor. Maybe your idol is the opinion of other people. Your idol is, well, what, what do other people think about me? My, my image is so important to me. I, I, I desire that I be viewed in a certain way. You know, it seems to me that I've spent my entire life trying to win the approval of, of other people. It started at a very young age when I wanted to make the starting line up. Hello? <laughs> Right? It was important to me. I just, all my life, I just wanted other people to like me. I, I just wanted other people to think highly of me. Uh, you know, when I die, I want people to be upset that I'm gone. But because some folks ain't upset when their loved ones are gone. I'm just telling you. They're like, thank God, finally. Whew. 
I, I, it's interesting to me. I stand by a lot of caskets when people are died. I hear a lot of conversations that happen when they come up and view and, and all that kind of thing. And, it, and it's real sweet to hear, you know, somebody share with somebody else a great memory or talk about, boy, the impact that person made or how good they were. But it's sad when you stand through one of them lines and nobody has anything to say. I, I, I give you an example. One time I was standing there and a, a lady walked by and looked in the casket, looked at her husband, said, that's him. I'm like, that, if that's all you got good to say about me, so I worry about that. I, I worry about it to the point that, uh, I'll be honest with you, I've worked out an arrangement, I've worked out a deal with Lynette's sister, my sister-in-law, Paulette, some of y'all know her, I've worked out a deal that she is going to be the whaler at my funeral. I want people to lay on my casket and wail and be sad that I'm gone. All right? Carry on. I want you to blubber, slobbers. I want it. And that's important to me. Is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. I got a problem, don't I? It's not a bad thing to be liked by other people or want other people to like you and to approve of you unless my desire for that is greater than my desire for the things of God and what God thinks about me and does he approve. What about our family or our kids? Have you ever seen a parent that wraps up their identity or their self-worth in how their kids do or how their kids perform. I'm going to tell you something. And if you don't believe me, just go to the ballpark or whatever. Parents put a lot of pressure on their kids. Why? Why? You know, they, they, they tell them that they got to be better. They got to get better. They got to be stronger. They got to be faster. They got to be smarter. Why? Y'all got nothing. Not me either. Right? Well, could it be because their kids are a reflection of what kind of parents they are? And yes, it's better to pour yourself into your family than a lot of other things. It's better to pour yourself into your family than your career. But let me tell you something. Your family can become an idol too. Idolizing your family. Idolizing marriage. Idolizing money. Or idolizing the opinions of others. Opens you up to being controlled by those things. You don't believe me? A lot of kids are controlling what does and does not happen in their home. A lot of kids are determining whether or not the family is going to go to church. You see, we open our door up to a few things and they will take control of us that's what Paul means here when he refers to what he's talking about as evil things now they may not be evil in and of themselves 
right? The kids may not be evil. Well, yeah, they are. Um, they may not be evil in and of themselves, right? The, marriage is not evil in and of itself. Family's not. Money's not. You know, they, they may not be evil, but they are if we put them before God. Listen, my identity as a Christian, your identity as a Christian is not supposed to be great athlete. My identity as a Christian is not supposed to be successful pastor or model dad or good husband. My identity should be servant of God. So what is it for you? What's the one thing? And there may be more than one, and that's okay. No, it's not okay. <laughs> there shouldn't be any. What's the one thing today that you find yourself desiring the most in your life? Because idolatry turns you into a frantic person like Grandma Alice, sanding away the best parts of your life in pursuit of dust. And then the most important question for us today is this, how do we escape it? <laughs> okay, we've identified what it is. How do we escape idolatry? Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you. Accept what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. What is he? God is faithful. If you have your Bible open this morning to this text, I'd encourage you to underline that. Highlight it. Take a tube of lipstick and write it on your bathroom mirror if you need to. God is faithful. Faithful, And he goes on to say, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. He'll provide a way out of whatever you may find yourself in. He will provide for you a way out of the temptations of Satan. He, he'll provide for you a way out of whatever it may be. So that you can endure it. God is faithful. And the way to overcome temptation and the draw to idolatry is to lean into the presence of God in your life and His faithfulness. That's the key to this. Because here's the deal. If you really believe that God is real... Do you really believe that God is real this morning? See, the people in the early service, some of them, I, they're sketchy. We were trying to get them saved, though. But, I mean, I'm going to say the majority of you here this morning would agree that God is real. And I believe that we would agree that, that God is with us. God is present in our lives. And not only that, God is real and God is present. 
But do you believe that He loves you unconditionally? Do you believe that He stands ready to help you? My friends, then your captivity to idols can be broken because of that. And if you worshipped your way into idolatry and you worshipped your way into sin, can I just tell you something this morning? You're going to have to worship your way out of it. Look at what Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6 say. Be content with what you have because God has said. How can you be content? God says never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Friends, freedom from craving, freedoms from this desire, freedoms from fear that leads to idolatry. Freedom from that is found in the confidence that we have in the presence of God and in the love of God. And we don't have a sound person because I am here. Oh, you're, okay, you're good. Just checking. Don't let me bother you. Okay, it's all right. We're just doing the best we can today, folks. That's all we're doing. Y'all, we should have confidence in the presence and the love of God because of the cross. Not only the cross where he showed us the greatest love that could be shown for every single one of us. But I got some friends right now that are over in the Holy Land. And I've never been there, but man, I'm, I'm having a blast following them on Facebook. And they're posting pictures of where they go every day. I can't wait for the pictures to pop up when they walk in to that tomb and read that sign. He is not here. He is risen. That's his love for you. That's the love that he has shown you. What's he getting in return? You may be going through some difficult times, difficult situations. There are many in our church that are right now. Battling cancer. Trying to recover from accidents and surgery. They're just trying to hold things together in their family, in their marriage. And you may not understand how God can turn that into good in your life. But you can understand it if you'll look to the cross. One of the worst things that anybody could ever experience 
is the greatest thing that could have ever happened for you and for me. And you can look to the cross and see how much He loves you and how much He cares about you. And because of the cross, my friend, you can have confidence to grab a hold of Him. To grab a hold of Him and His presence and His love. Instead of grabbing a hold of all this other junk that Satan has convinced us in our heads is better than what we have. Can I ask you today, is there anything today that you would say in front of these people is better than God? No, none of us would say that here in church. But yet we'll roll on out of here and we'll give a lot of things more weight. A lot of things more worship than we do the one that we say we love and are living for. The greatest hindrance to our relationship with God is idolatry. Our desire to have something besides Him. And desiring and pursuing anything besides Him, Paul says, is opening your life up to the influence and the power of Satan in your life. He calls it demonic and evil. Free from idolatry because freedom from idolatry freedom from our unhealthy desires friends that comes from God's promise that he's not going to leave us and he's here to help us so as we close today I want to ask you one more time what competes with God for first place in your heart? What is it that's competing with God for first place in your life? My prayer has been, as I've been preparing for today, my prayer is that you will honestly ask yourself that question today. And not only ask the question, but that you will honestly answer that question as you stand in His presence. Putting God first above all other things, my friend, is the cure for what ails us. It's the cure for what is wrong in the church. It's the cure for what is wrong in our world today. Let's embrace Him. Let's embrace Him instead of embracing everything that Satan puts before us that's flashy, shiny, and looks better because none of it is better than the love that God has for you. This morning we want to close with a word of prayer and I invite you to come this morning. I know there are a lot of families that are going through a lot of difficult things right now. My good friend Chick Hart, him and his brother Terry lost their mom uh, during the night last night after suffering a severe stroke. 
Una May is still in rehab here in Greenbrier, and we're just praying that God would work in her mind and to be with the family uh, as they walk through this with her. Robert Wilcox is continuing treatments for cancer. Several recovering from surgery. Good to see you this morning, Mavis. Been missing you. God is faithful, isn't he? If you'd like to come pray this morning, I invite you to come. These altars are open all the time, but maybe you'd like to come pray for somebody or someone, or maybe God's just spoken to your heart today, and you want to come recommit something to him. I don't know, but... uh, I know that he is able. Would you come? We'll close with a word of prayer together. I'll give you a moment to come. Dear God, so grateful again today for your word and how active and alive your word is. If we'll just go there, it does what you intend for it to do. We may not see the fruit. We may not see the results of that, but God, your promise is that... uh, Your word will never return you void. So I thank you for what you're doing today. Probably the most shaking thing that you said in your word today that has burdened me is when you said, through Paul, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. God, I pray that we would feel that burden and carry that burden. And honestly ask ourselves serious questions today. Because I don't think I'm the only one here that struggles. With desiring other things more than I do my relationship with you. And so my prayer today is that you would give this pastor, that you would give me a greater hunger for you. A greater hunger for your word. God, not that people would be pleased in what I do or how I live, but that you would be pleased. And I pray that for my family, my church family.
Forgive us where we fail you. But help us not to continue on in those failures and to live in that. But to accept what you have for us. and You showed us today in your word what you have for us and how much you love us. I just pray that we would go from here today. Um, living our lives in such a way that people see the cure. We're the only people in this world. <laughs> Christians, I mean, are the ones that has the cure for everything that's going on in our world today. I pray that you'd find us faithful, living that cure out, sharing that cure, inviting others to come and receive the cure. <laughs> this morning, I even checked my own self. I invited somebody to church, and they came, and I was shocked. I texted my family and said, I can't believe they came. God, I, I don't know why I'm surprised by what you do. I just pray that you continue to use me for your good and your glory. Use your church to do the same. Thank you for what you're doing here today. But God, most of all, I thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. For those that embrace you, embrace your presence, embrace your love, and embrace the cure. For their lives, for their families, for our church, our community in this world. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray and I ask these things. Amen. God bless you all. I love you so much. I hope you're able to enjoy this beautiful sunshine.